Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 28, Insights from Sports Psychology. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. Hey everybody, so glad to have you joining me today. Um, This week we are talking about sports psychology and I'll explain a little bit where this topic came from. Um, A little random, but I thought it would be fun. So my son finished up his first official high school tennis season a little over a month ago. Um, He did play last year, but about three or four weeks into the season, it was of course canceled due to COVID. And so this year we were super excited that they got to play and actually have an almost full, mostly normal tennis season. So it was interesting to watch my son. He's played for several years with another team, but something about playing for his high school team just really sparked something in him to want to kind of up-level his game and figure out how to compete at a higher level, which is so fun. Um, He's my first kid to play a high school sport, so I've loved watching him and seeing his progress. So I'm not sure exactly how my kids feel about having a life coach for a mom. Um, I've been known to get a few eye rolls from time to time um, when I try to help my kids work through things. So I'm pretty careful about not going into coach mode with my kids um, unless they directly ask me for that kind of help. So in this case, um, my son felt like he'd like to put, um, that he'd put a lot of time and effort into the physical skills and techniques his coaches had taught him. Um, But he wanted to delve a little more into the psychological side of what he could do to improve his performance by working on his mental game. And of course, I was more than happy to work on this with him. Um, And I had a lot of fun learning all kinds of things about sports psychology that, of course, are just kind of universal principles that can be applied to other areas of life as well. So I wanted to talk here um, at first about the role of a coach because there are a lot of similarities between athletic coaches and life coaches. So basically the job of a coach in sports or in life is to help you perform at your highest level and potential possible. Um, A coach is going to help you develop and master the skills that are going to um, help you achieve your goals and become the player that you really want to be. Whether you are playing basketball or golf or soccer or tennis or whether you are playing the game of life. Um, A coach gives you the tools and information relevant to the sport you're playing. Or in the case of a life coach, um, gives you the tools and information relevant for the specific obstacles you're facing or the goals that you want to achieve. A coach provides encouragement, constructive feedback, and helps you identify areas of strength that are beneficial for you and for your team, um, as well as maybe areas of weakness and blind spots where you might have room for improvement. Um, And a coach is generally going to give you some type of training program, right, that you can implement on your own that's going to get you the results that you want on the court, on the field, or in your life. So athletic coaches have been around um, for years, right? For a long time. Obviously, if you're an athlete or on some kind of team, you're going to have a coach. Um, but I love that life coaching is becoming more widely available and commonplace. I think it's it's an industry that's making huge strides and improving people's lives. And I believe it's just going to keep um, becoming more, both more accessible and more mainstream in our world. So as I said, many of the principles that athletes use to um, up their mental game can be applied to life in general and vice versa. I was once giving a presentation 
a few years ago to a group of teenage girls and a few weeks later I ran into um, a mom whose daughter had attended and she told me that her daughter who was a senior and on her high school's varsity volleyball team was just having a really rough time she said her daughter wasn't getting the playing time she wanted um, that the coach had been making her and the rest of the team pretty miserable well that evening um, I had talked to those girls about the concept of emotional adulthood and how we all have this metaphorical remote control um, over our thoughts and feelings and actions. And sometimes, a lot of times actually, we take our personal remote control and we put it into the hands of other people and let them decide how we are going to think or feel or act, right? And this concept really resonated with this girl. Um, And she'd come home and told her mom that she realized she'd been letting her coach be in charge of her remote control. And she saw the impact this was having um, on her experience playing on this team. So she decided that night that she was going to stop giving others the remote control to her happiness and her self-worth because she had learned that she could always keep possession of her, her, of her remote control if she wanted to. So I thought that was really cool that this girl had heard this concept um, in a context completely outside of sports. My presentation had nothing to do with volleyball, but that she was able to make that connection and see that this was the exact solution to a challenge that she was facing um, in, in that area of her life. And her mom updated me actually a few months later after this and said that her daughter's volleyball season um, completely changed after that. And that she was actually one of the um, one of only two seniors who didn't end up quitting the team, and she ended up having just a really great final season um, during her senior year. And I just loved that. I was blown away by this girl's ability to apply this tool so effectively to this obstacle she was facing. And I'm sure she's been able to take that principle and apply it to other areas of her life as well. So these tools that we teach, these strategies, whether you're playing the game of volleyball or the game of life are universal. And as I was researching this stuff with my son, we came across a book that was just excellent called The Champion's Mind, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive. And it's by Dr. Jim Aframo. And so much of what he teaches in this book about sports psychology and the mind can be directly applied to life in general and how we can thrive mentally and emotionally as we seek to overcome challenges and tackle goals and seek to achieve our highest potential. And this book has so many golden gems, it really was hard to narrow it down, but I picked out just a few of my favorites to share with you today, and I hope that you can take these concepts and find a way to apply them to your life right now. Whatever circumstance you're in, um, whatever challenge you're facing, maybe these ideas will help you know how to move forward and get the results you're looking to create. So the first idea I want to share today is just about the importance of having a goal, of having some kind of result that we are directing our ambition or effort toward. So lots of times we shy away maybe from setting goals, um, even though it might be something we really want, because deep down we doubt that we can, that we have the ability or the discipline to actually make them happen. And so in an effort to avoid feelings of discomfort or failure or disappointment, right, we just avoid making goals altogether. But the interesting thing is that even if you don't reach your goal entirely, the actions you take, the effort you do put forward as you work toward that goal, is going to get you farther than you would have ever gotten if you didn't even set it, right? So having a goal gives you purpose. Having a specific, measurable goal can help guide your everyday decisions and actions. It can increase your drive and your motivation and give you more awareness about your areas of strength and weakness. Um, Dr. Aframo says that having something that we are actively working toward can, quote, serve as our guiding star and will help us commit to performing daily acts of excellence with the dream goal in mind. 
He also shared this quote on the importance of setting high goals for yourself, um, goals that might seem out of your comfort zone, from speed skater and Olympic gold medal winner Dan Jansen, who set eight world records over the course of his career. Um, So he said, I don't think there's any such thing as setting your goals too high. The higher you set your goals, the more you are going to work. If you don't reach it, then it's okay, just as long as you set it and then give 100% of yourself. Okay, so now we are going to progress and accomplish so much more if we have a goal, especially a goal that might seem a little out of reach than without one, right? And I used to think that my goals needed to be super realistic, like something I was 100% sure I could do without failing. Because if I set a goal and didn't accomplish it, then what was the point? It was kind of, I kind of had a fixed mindset sneaking in there, right? But my perspective on goals and what they're here for has completely changed. A goal isn't necessarily um, about the end result. The purpose of the goal is who we're becoming in the process. It's how those little decisions and daily acts of excellence, right, are changing us along the way. It's not so much that you ran that marathon or started that business or acquired that new habit or hit your goal weight. Um, Whatever your goal is, it's the things that you learned, the discipline that you achieved, the confidence you built, um, the relationship yourself that you've improved by showing up even when you really didn't feel like it. So a few summers ago, um, my daughter and I decided that we were going to train to hike Mount Whitney, which is, it's in California and it's the highest peak in the lower 48 states. I think the only peaks higher than Mount Whitney are up in Alaska, so so it's pretty high. So my husband was planning on hiking it that fall and he said that in order to be in shape for this hike, we should um, be able to at least run a half marathon, so a little over 13 miles or so. So at the beginning of June, we started our training and we went online and found a training schedule that told us how often we should be running how much to increase our mileage each week, and we went to work. Well, we were really diligent about following our schedule, and it was so fun and amazing to see how quickly we were able to increase our endurance and do longer and longer runs. And pretty soon, before we know it, we were running some pretty high mileage weeks, um, certainly more than either of us had ever run before. Now, that summer didn't go exactly as planned, and we had some setbacks that were kind of out of our control. And in the end, we weren't able to make the Mount Whitney hike, but we stretched ourselves and accomplished way more that summer than I think either of us thought was possible. And I look back on that time, not as a failure because we didn't reach the goal we set out to achieve at the beginning, but actually as a huge success because of everything we learned about ourselves and what we were capable of. Um, And not only that, we have the best memories of that time together. It was the summer um, of her before her senior year. And I'm so grateful for those hours and hours and hours we spent running and talking. And um, I can drive around our little you know, city and just about every place I look is a place that we ran. We, we really racked up a lot of miles that summer. So to me, it was totally a win-win. And that's how I feel about setting goals. There is great satisfaction in accomplishing um, that thing that you wanted to achieve, right, when you get there. But even if you don't fully reach it, the efforts that you've put in, have probably gotten you a lot farther than you would have without the goal. And you will have also increased your confidence and accomplished some really cool things in the process. Okay, number two. The second idea is one that I really love and it's simple but effective. <laughs> Dr. Aphromo says, there's a great truth in the popular phrase that humor is the best medicine. A good sense of humor is important for peak performance as well as health and happiness. Finding humor in difficult situations is often the best way to reduce unnecessary stress and increase motivation. A touch of humor at the right time keeps things from becoming too tense. 
A good laugh can reduce stress, boost performance, and improve mood. He goes on to tell the story of Steffi Graf, who, if you don't recognize that name, is one of the the greatest um, female tennis players in history. And he tells about a time when she was playing in Wimbledon in the semifinals um, back in 1996, and she was getting ready to serve during a really tense part of the match. And all of a sudden, a man from the crowd yelled out to her, and he said, Steffi, will you marry me? Well, the stadium just kind of erupted in laughter, and she turned toward this man, and she smiled, and she yelled back to him. She said, how much money do you have? And of course, this clever little response helped really lighten the mood and release some of the tension, and she actually won that match, and she advanced to the finals and ended up winning the title that year. So I I just love that story. I thought that was pretty quick thinking on her part. (laughs) But have you ever experienced this where you were in a tense or uncomfortable situation and then someone is able to kind of diffuse it with humor? Um, This isn't usually my first response to a stressful situation, but I'm always so grateful for the people in my life who do have that ability to lighten the mood with humor. I've learned a lot from these people and I'm trying to get a little better out of myself. So um, I have an aunt and uncle who've always been some of my favorite people to be around. I remember even when I was a kid, we just always laughed so hard and had the best time whenever we were with them. They both just have the funniest sense of humor. Um, And they've also had some of the biggest challenges of anyone I know. They've handled every single one with just this amazing faith and resilience. Um, So they've just had such a wonderful influence on me as I've watched them and their family over the years. They're just really remarkable people. Um, And a little over three years ago, they were called to serve um, as mission presidents in Argentina. And for those of you unfamiliar with how missions work in our church, missionaries um, are young men and women, generally between the ages of 18 and 21, um, right around there, who voluntarily leave home for 18 months to two years to just go out and serve and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And There are over uh, 400 missions in the world, and I think right now around 70,000 missionaries who are out on missions right now. So that's a lot of young adults out there. And so to keep things in order and keep track of everyone and make sure that these missionaries are taken care of, um, they call couples and sometimes even their entire families if they still have young kids at home to go lead and watch over and help these young men and women in their service. So my aunt and uncle were asked to go down to Argentina and serve the missionaries in that area. And no one was surprised about this. As I said, these two are both just powerhouses and have so much talent and capability between the two of them. But that's not to say that their three years in Argentina were easy. Um, There were many challenges, as you can imagine. Not only in leaving their home to go to a completely foreign place, uh, my aunt didn't speak Spanish at all, Um, Also, being so far away from their kids and grandkids, travel between Argentina and the U.S. isn't exactly quick and easy. And just having a lot of important and sometimes, I'm sure, very heavy responsibilities. And if that wasn't enough, COVID hit about halfway through their, their service. And so that presented a whole new set of challenges. And at the same time, one of their daughters and her family back at home were facing some very serious challenges as well. And so I won't go into all the details here, but there were some really wonderful blessings mixed in with some really hard and scary things. And they were actually just released and returned home a couple of weeks ago after um, being down there for three years. And even getting them home turned out to be really difficult and stressful. Argentina ended up closing down its borders because of the new COVID variant just the day before they were supposed to fly out. Um, There were lots of emotional ups and downs throughout the week as they tried to figure out how and when they were going to get home. So finally, about a week after they were originally supposed to get home, they were cleared to travel back to the United States. And as I was kind of getting the play-by-play from my cousin, 
throughout the week, she would send me little updates from my aunt. And even in the midst of what I'm sure was a very stressful week, um, my aunt was still making these little jokes and finding things to laugh about. And there have been so many other times when I've seen them in situations that would have been really discouraging or even depressing to some people, but they took what they had to work with. They made the very best of it. They found humor in it and really took control of their experience in it. And they lifted not only themselves, but those of us around them in the process. So I'm really grateful for them and and the many other people that I see that are able to just not take themselves or life too seriously. I know that there's a time and a place, and sometimes it's not always appropriate to laugh or make light of something, but I really think developing this skill and using it in many of the challenging situations we find ourselves in will keep us in those higher, more positive energy emotions that we're all trying to feel more of anyway, right? I think our ability to find the humor in stressful situations has a big impact on the way we experience them. And this kind of goes along with the idea of taking control of what we can, right? And not dwelling too much on what we can't. And sometimes I think humor is one of the best ways to do that. In fact, I was reading that just the physical act of laughing triggers healthy reactions um, and responses in our bodies. You probably heard this before, but laughing strengthens our immune systems. It boosts our mood. It can be a pain reliever. It can even reduce some of the damaging effects of stress on our bodies. Um, They found that laughter has a very similar effect on the body to antidepressants and that it actually activates the release of serotonin, which is that brain chemical that is affected by the medications that they use to treat um, anxiety and depression. Laughter has anti-inflammatory effects and can protect um, blood vessels and heart muscles from cardiovascular disease. Laughter releases endorphins in the brain, which are those feel-good chemicals that our body naturally produces. So laughing is a great way to just feel better. Um, It also promotes social bonding and a sense of safety and connection with other people. Um, I noticed that at a family reunion we were at a few weeks ago. There was a lot of laughing, lots of humor, lots of recounting of funny stories. And I know that personally, I experience um, that feeling of bonding and connection when I'm laughing with other people. Um, I also noticed this last year um, in, you know, spring of 2020, we were all basically quarantined, right? For several weeks or months even, depending on where you lived. Um, There were food and supply shortages, lots of social and political tension, um, adjustment to, you know, school and working from home. It was stressful for a good percentage of people in the world, right? Kind of unprecedented in our time. And I remember, though, one of the highlights um, were just all the funny memes coming out about the coronavirus and toilet paper shortages and Zoom meetings and social distancing. One of our favorite things to do as a family was just sit and flip through um, all the memes because sometimes you just get to the point, right, where all you can do is just laugh. Um, There's a quote from Sister Hinckley about this. She said, the only way to get through life is to laugh your way through it. You either have to laugh or cry. I prefer to laugh. Crying gives me a headache. And I think there's room for both, right? Sometimes you do just want to have a good cry, but for the most part, I agree. I'd rather be laughing than crying. So the moral of the story is just find more reasons to laugh and see the humor in your life. It really can change the way you experience everything, the good, the bad, the frustrating, the disappointing, the stressful, and all the stuff in between. I think just getting a little more intentional uh, intentional about finding the little things to laugh about can really make a huge difference. Okay, so third takeaway from this book I wanted to share with you is be your own champion. So Peyton Manning, who's considered to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, he said, the attitude with which we approach the situation can determine our success or failure. And this is just as true in any situation we face in life. 
as it is in the world of sports, right? Um, It's said that among the top athletes in a sport, there really isn't a lot of difference physically, um, but it's the mental ability to handle stress and pressure that separate the top few from the many. So physical ability in and of itself doesn't necessarily guarantee superior performance um, in sports. The secret isn't in natural talent or innate athletic ability. It's really in the mind. So what does this mean for those of us who don't necessarily have professional sports careers or who won't ever be Olympic candidates? Well, the concept still applies. The mental abilities of focus and confidence and determination and resilience, these are all crucial skills if you want to be a champion in the game of life. And just as you can build physical strength through training, you can build mental strength through training. And you can become not just physically fit, but mentally fit as well. Dr. Afromo says every one of us can be peak performers in the, in the game of life by achieving our own personal best. We can strive to be the best version of ourselves. It's possible for us to stay professional when adversity strikes. It's possible to ingrain mental fortitude that drives us forward. So how do we do this? How do we achieve this mental fitness? I was talking with some friends a few weeks ago and we were just discussing how we all have um, kind of habits and patterns of thinking that we've acquired when we were younger and trying to make sense of the world and figure out how to survive emotionally, um, but that now those habits and patterns actually kind of sometimes sabotage us. They sabotage our success, our relationships, our health, our happiness. Um, and one of my friends you know, asked, so what do you do? Is there anything you can do to change that? And of course I said, yes, yes, good news. You can change them. Um, for so many years, it was thought that by the time we reached a certain age around our mid thirties, midlife, Um, that our brains and our personalities and our habits were kind of set in stone, like in concrete, that they couldn't be changed or altered, Um, that it just kind of was what it was. But what science has revealed to us in the past, you know, 25, 30 years is that the brain is constantly growing and changing and pruning itself. And And the most amazing part, I think, is that we have a say in how our brain changes. So most of the habits and patterns um, that were formed during the early years of our lives, um, when our brains, our brains, they were formed when our brains were totally different than they are now. We didn't have our fully developed prefrontal cortex to help us understand and view and process things logically. And so a lot of the strategies we developed, like uh, maybe people pleasing or avoiding or judging or comparing or overachieving, these came out of a need to feel more in control of circumstances um, that felt very outside of our control. But as we get older, those tendencies we have start to have an effect on our relationships, on our productivity, on our faith, maybe even in our self-image, right? Um, Our belief in what's possible for ourselves, what our potential is. And I think that's our work in the second half of our lives is to kind of unpack all that and decide what we want to keep, what's serving us, and what we want to change. What tendencies and patterns are keeping us from living the lives that we really want to live. So building that mental fitness, learning how to use your brain and your thoughts and your beliefs to work for you instead of against you is the key to becoming the best version of yourself, shifting your beliefs about who you are and what you're capable of um, and what you're in control of, right? Can have a huge impact both on how you experience your life and how you view and work toward your potential. There is never a better time than right now to take your mind and your life back. When I went to coach training, life coach training. I was in one of the very last live trainings that they offered before everything kind of went online. And to me, it was just amazing to be there and feel the energy of all those powerful coaches and soon to be coaches. And when I walked into the big conference room on the first day, 
um, they put these little cards with our names out on them and the cards on the cards were different quotes. And as soon as I saw mine, I knew it was just perfect for me. And the quote was, um, I still have it on my desk um, and I look at it often. And it said, there is no standing still. You are either actively creating the life you want or you are taking what you get. And that's what I've learned in my experience with coaching being the client with my own awesome coaches or being the coach helping my own clients work toward their own life-changing results is that we are the creators of our lives. We don't just have to take what we get. We can be our own champions. I believe there's so much more success and happiness and peace and fulfillment um, and love possible for each of us than we can even comprehend. And that is one of my goals in this work is to help myself and my clients to be more intentional creators and to achieve our own personal best in individual experiences and circumstances that make up our lives. So those are just a few of the gems I got from reading this book. If you love to geek out on this stuff as much as I do, I highly recommend it. Again, it's called The Champion's Mind by Dr. Jim Aframo. Go check it out if you're interested. Um, and of course, as always, if you have questions about how to apply the tools and principles you're learning on this podcast more directly to yourself in your life, I'd love to chat with you. Um, I've got a website up and coming. It's still under construction. Um, so for now, the best way to reach me is super easy. You can just go find me on Instagram at Annette Jones Coaching. Come hang out with me. I've got more tips and info over there. Also, if you find this podcast helpful, I'd love for you to rate and review it. It's the best way to get it out there for more people who are interested in this kind of information. Um, I'm so grateful for all of you who've taken the time to do it already. And for those of you who are willing, thank you in advance. I really appreciate it. So I hope you all have a great week and I will see you next time. Bye now.